good morning. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. <laughs> Mark, you're awesome. <laughs> if you are new here, uh, we welcome you. We thank you for being here, worshiping with us. If you're here for the second, third time, welcome back. We are in this series called Engage. I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out, get them ready, um, get your program out. But, but uh, I want to share with you a story. Um, when I was 25 and I was sensing the Lord's leading to uh, use me to go into teaching ministry, I got an uh, invitation to a church to preach on a Sunday morning. And I was excited because it was actually a church that I grew up in. But I hadn't been there in 15 years. I uh, grew up in the church. I left it when I was 10 years old. And now I was 25, so I was going back, hadn't been there. Um, but I walk in that Sunday morning, and one of the young adults recognized me. And she goes, she says, Greg, I totally remember you. She says, we grew up playing together here at the church. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. You remember me. She says, yeah, you used to teach us all sorts of things. I was like, praise God, like 10 years old, God was using me to teach people even at 10. She's like, yeah, you were the one who taught us the F word. I'm like, oh, cool. All right, awesome. <laughs> well, well th that day, ironically, I went in there and I taught them a new word. It was much better than the F word. It's a word that's a lot more piercing because that day I taught them the S word. I taught them the S word. What is the S word? Well, the S word is what I like to use to abbreviate the Spirit's word, the Spirit's word, because 2 Timothy 3 says that these are the words of God that have been breathed into, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Remember in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God, he says, you put on the breastplate of righteousness, you put on the shield of faith, the belt of truth, and then in verse 17, he says what? He says, take the helmet of salvation and the S word of the Spirit, some people pronounce that sword, which is what? The word of God, the Spirit's word, the sword. And today I want to talk to you about how we ought to live by the S word. We ought to live by the sword, lest we die by the sword. I was reminded this week of a, um, an old Inuit parable that tells of how the indigenous Eskimos of northern Canada used to hunt wolves. And the parable goes like this, the, the Eskimo would take a hunting knife, kind of like this one, and then he would take the blood of some kind of prey that's been killed, and he would dip the knife in the blood, and then he would let it freeze in the snow. And then he would dip it again and form another layer and let it freeze in the snow. And then he would dip it again, and he would continue this process until it was a thick block of blood, almost like a juicy red popsicle. And... The legend says that the Eskimo would take it and he would prop it right there in the snow and he would just let it sit and do its work and he would take off and he, he would leave knowing that along the way would come a hungry, ravenous wolf looking for something to devour. And he's following his scent and he follows the scent of blood and he smells it and he's looking for it and he sees it sitting right there in the snow. And he looks at it, and it looks like blood, and it sure smells like blood, tastes like blood, oh, it's good blood. And it satisfies this desire that he has. It's, it, there's this momentary gratification, and so now he starts licking faster and faster, more and more vigorously, 
And he's like so consumed because he's being satisfied by this, this blood feast. And all of a sudden, instead of feeling energized and strengthened by this feast, he's starting to feel weak and woozy. Why? Well, because the blood that he's licking has suddenly become his own, unbeknownst to him. But he's so consumed and he's being filled and his desires being met and he's so addicted to this that he doesn't realize that this insatiable desire is literally, literally taking the life out of him. The next day, the Eskimo will come only to find his victim fallen to his own flesh. And I, and I think about that, and I think the analogy is right there where the devil knows how our flesh can be so hungry. And if he could just place something in front of us, he would love to use whatever deceptive tactic to get us to give in to this momentary gratification and have us figuratively die by the sword. But soldiers of Christ, army of God, church of Jesus, we are called to be ones who put on the armor of God and not die by the sword, but to live by the sword. Amen? Amen. And so today, as we continue on in the series Engage, last week we talked about engaging in God's word. And we encourage you, we left you with this challenge to engage in God's word daily. Like spend time doing your quiet time on your phones, in, in the Bible app, or emailing, right? We gave you some tools on how to do it, and we, we, we were pleased. We asked you to think of two people to invite into this journey to do it with you, to keep you accountable. And we got a nice, thick stack of comment cards with you guys who wrote two names that you would like to consider inviting. And I want to assure you, we took those names. We prayed for every name at our Tuesday night prayer meeting. We distributed those cards, and we prayed for you. And so I pray that this past week that you took action and that you invited two people along with you to say, hey, let's read the word and let's keep each other accountable. And if you haven't yet, I pray that this week you will. And we don't want to move on too quickly. We really kind of want to camp on this idea of how important it is to engage in God's word. I want to encourage you once again, who are two people? If you haven't invited them already, would you invite them this week? And even if you invited them and they declined your invitation, don't stop there. Who are two other people? Who's somebody else until you can get this partnership going and we can walk with each other in the word? Okay, so instead of moving on to the next topic, which we were actually going to do, you know, we felt it would be wise. Let's camp on this a little bit because the word of God is everything we are. It tells us everything we ought to do and everywhere we go. This is the foundation for everything here as, as God's church. And so today I want to give you two biblical truths and then two practical applications. I want to show you the why, why it is so important that we continue to engage in God's word. Then I want to show you how we engage in God's word. So today's message is called Living by the Sword. Would you guys pray with me? And then let's, let's talk about the sword of the spirit. Let's pray. So, Father God, we, we pray right now that you would lead us into this time. God, I pray that, Lord, you would help us resist the temptation to think that we know, we know that the Bible is important. We've heard this message before. But, God, I pray that you would give us fresh insight, that you would give us fresh conviction this morning. Lord, inspire us through your word to go and and live this out, to live by the sword and to invite people along with us 
so that we, we wouldn't journey alone. And so, God, we really want to give you this time. We ask that you would make it yours. God, we, we pray that um, whatever's distracting us right now, whatever's on our mind, whatever happened this morning, whatever happened yesterday, Lord, that's warring for our attention right now, we pray that uh, above that, your voice would be louder. And so, Lord, our ears are open, our hearts are yours. We give this to you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're following along uh, in your notes, here's the first of two truths I want to give you this morning. Write this down, would you? Truth number one, the sword of the Spirit cuts to the core. The sword of the Spirit cuts to the core. In the New Testament days, the Roman soldiers, they would be clothed in armor, and they would have actually multiple weapons. They would have this long sword about six to eight feet long that they would use to hack, but they would also have another sword called the gladius. The gladius looks like this. It was much shorter, sometimes as short as 12 to 18 inches, sometimes 24 inches, but it was much lighter so that they could keep at their side at all times, and it was easy to maneuver for close combat. But here's the thing about the gladius, it had a very sharp point so that it could pierce any armor. And because it was a double-edged sword, it had a sharp blade on both sides, it could then penetrate the area in which it pierced. That, that was the gladius, that was the picture of a sword in the New Testament days. Here's what the New Testament says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so what the Bible does is it likens the, the Bible itself to a double-edged sword. It says it's even sharper than the double-edged sword. Because why? Well, because it's able to pierce the heart and cut to its core. That's what the Bible does. Now, I want to give you proper perspective because this is so important. When we're talking about doing your quiet times and engaging in daily devotions, it's so important to understand that just reading the Word is not an end in itself. It's not a box to be checked. The, the goal of engaging in God's Word is to have our heart peeled away. The, the real goal of this is to have our hearts if you will, get cut to the core. Why? Because when our hearts are exposed, then we can see what is there or what's not there. And it is then that we can call upon Jesus to come and fix what's broken, to heal what's hurting, to, to fill what's missing. It's when our hearts are exposed that we realize Jesus is our everything. He is all satisfying, satisfying and he fills my heart completely. And in that sense, Jesus is worshiped. Worship is the end goal of our spiritual disciplines. So, so that's, that's the perspective we ought to have. If we don't have that, if we just see reading the Bible as a box to be checked, then it's just legalistic drudgery. We have to see this as, as worship. So the sword of the Spirit is able to pierce one's spiritual heart, and it's so precise that it's almost like a surgical knife. 
This sword is almost like a surgical knife and that it's able to peel away at the layers and expose what is there. And Hebrews 4.12 says it cuts down to the very attitudes and intentions of the heart. It's able to expose that which is invisible to the human eye. It's going to show what, what my motives, what my intents are. And I love what E. Paul Hovey said. I'm going to put up a quote for you. He, he said this. I think it's insightful. People don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. And perhaps all the excuses that, that some people have for why I'm not going to believe in the Bible or, or read the Bible is not so much because there's contradictions, but maybe, maybe because it's going to contradict their lifestyle or the condition of their heart. And the reality is nobody likes to be exposed. Nobody likes their hearts to be exposed. Nobody wants to be shown that they're wrong. Nobody wants to be shown that they need change. And I get that. Who wants their hearts exposed? One of our elders, Randy Shepherd, I see Randy's here today. Um, you know, a few months ago, he was helping his wife, Nan, who oversees our preschool ministry here at the church. And, you know, very often they'll move the furniture out of the area and put it in a storage. And, and Randy was helping out, and he was moving this particularly heavy uh, piece of furniture, and his chest started hurting. And so he had to sit down, and Nan comes in Nan fashion, and she says, why are you sitting down? Get up and work. And he says, my chest is hurting. And he said, thank God I have an appointment this Thursday, so when I go, I'll, I'll ask him about this. I'll bring it up. She says, your chest is hurting again? She said, you're not, you ain't waiting till Thursday. You're going tomorrow. You're going Monday. Bless her heart for saying that. He goes in Monday. The, his general practitioner has him uh, take an EKG, looks at the results, doesn't like what she sees. Sends it to the cardiologist, sends the results. He looks at it, doesn't like what he sees. And to make a long story short, Randy said that the, the, the heart surgeon cleared his table. He had a previously scheduled heart surgery. He, he, he postponed that. He says, Randy, you are coming in on Wednesday, and essentially we are cutting open your heart. You're going through open heart surgery. It was not a double bypass, not a quadruple bypass. It was supposed to be a six bypass surgery. But they ended up only doing five. So they did a quintuple bypass surgery. Open heart. We're cutting you open. Now, I asked him, so what was that like? What were your thoughts when they told you you're going to have open heart surgery in two days? Right? Essentially, what are your thoughts about them telling you they're going to cut open your heart? And he goes, I was petrified. Yeah, obviously, right? I don't blame you. He says, I was petrified. Given the choice, I wouldn't have done it. But he says, I praise God because looking back on it, he says, because of that, I now have a second chance at life. And he was telling me on Friday on the phone, I want to live it fully. He says, now I'm so much more aware of God's presence that God is here in my life. He says, now my relationship with my wife is so much deeper. I've had to rely on her for almost everything. I was dependent on her. God has drawn us closer together. He says, now I'm more aware of my own health and, and the importance of living a healthy lifestyle. And so all these changes are coming to bring about an abundance of life. He says, it's painful. And even the recovery is painful. So please continue to pray for our elder Randy.
that in this recovery, as painful as it is, that he would continue to experience that abundance of life. And that's what heart surgery does. Nobody looks forward to having their hearts cut open, not physically and not spiritually. But put your heart in the hands of a great physician, and he could restore it, he could renew it, and it could be renovated so that we can experience that abundance of life. That's what the Word of God does. And man, if I could share with you this past, this past week, last week I shared with you, I was in the book of Matthew for my, my, my Bible plan, my quiet times, and I shared with you Matthew 2 last week. Well, well, a few days later, this past week, I was in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew fa- chapter 5, I want to show you how the word was piercing my heart. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. He's teaching us to go over and beyond. It says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And Jesus goes on in this teaching, if someone mistreats you, love your enemies. Do good to those who don't do good to you. Right? And he said, what good is it if you do good to those who do good to you? Anybody can do that. Tax collectors can do that. But he says, do good to those who don't do good to you. And it, what the word of God was doing, what the sword was doing, was cutting open my heart and exposing to me this void of grace. So he was showing me, Greg, you, you operate on fairness. You operate on fairness, and it's true, and maybe this is true of you. Like, if you do something good for me, I will want to do something good for you. And if you don't do something good to me, I'm not going to want to do something good to you. If you do something bad to me, my tendency is to want to do something bad back to you. And God was saying, Greg, you operate on this principle of fairness, and you bring it into your marriage. Right? And don't we? In our marriages, it's like, for me, if you do some chores around the house, then I'll be willing to do some chores around the house. If you, Monica, if you bathe the kids tonight, I'll be willing to bathe the kids tomorrow. Let's meet each other in the middle. And a lot of you guys who are married are like, yeah, what's wrong with that? Isn't it shared burden? Don't we meet each other and we put in the same effort? And yet I felt like the Lord was saying, Greg, don't be fair. Don't be fair. Don't operate on fairness, Greg. Operate on grace. See, because fairness, if if fairness is giving the other person what they deserve, grace is giving what the person doesn't deserve. So even when your spouse doesn't do the chores, Greg, you still do, do the chores. Even when that person doesn't say sorry to you, Greg, you still say sorry. When they don't forgive you, you show forgiveness. Don't operate on fairness. Operate on grace. Why? Jesus ends that teaching with, because your father. Be perfect, therefore, because your father is perfect. Your father operates on grace. And we ought to strive to be like the following, God was just piercing my heart. Greg, there's a void of grace in your heart. And now with that being exposed, now Jesus can come in and start filling that void with grace and helping me recover and, and, and renovate my heart. And like, Pat, like Randy said, recovery is painful. Spiritual recovery is painful. It's humbling. And I'm learning. And I'm being rehabilitated. And so that, that's why we need to get into the word and live by the sword, because it cuts to the core. And when that happens, Christ can come and start his renovations. Okay, so that's truth number one. The sword of the spirit cuts to the core. Let me share with you a second truth this morning. The sword of the spirit defends against deception. 
Would you write that down? The sword of the Spirit defends against deception. So the day before Matthew 5, I was in Matthew chapter 4. And I was reading about Jesus and how he was in the desert and he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was in his weariness that Satan comes to tempt him. Doesn't Satan do that? Does he do that to you? In your weakness, in your weariness, when you're vulnerable, he will come and attack. It seems like he likes to operate like that. Well, it goes like this. Matthew chapter 4, I read that day, verse 1. says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus answered, it is written. Would you circle that phrase? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Satan's trying to get him to depend on on, on bread. You need bread. Jesus comes back and he gives this argument. He says, I need the word of God. The word of God is what nourishes me and strengthens me and makes me healthy, right? And what Jesus isn't saying, he's not saying bread's not important, but he's saying we don't live on bread alone. As important as bread is for my physical body, the word of God is so crucial to my spiritual soul. So don't try to get me to take my eyes off of the word of God. I need the word of God. And so he, he shows the importance of living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? Do you see what's going on? He's not just talking the talk. He is walking the talk. He's walking the walk as he talks because what does he do as he's saying the word of God is so important that we need to live by it? He's swinging the sword. Because those very words come from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. As it is written in Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He is using the word to make that very argument. And then he doesn't stop there, right? Because Satan, he's relentless. So he says, all right, let me, let me try to take your, your eyes off of not just what you need for your sustenance. Let me try to now tempt you with with something else, maybe insecure thoughts. Does God really care about you? So the next verse goes in verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, well, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. As it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, Jesus said to him, again, it is is written. Would you circle that phrase? He says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So now he's getting him the question, does God really care about you? Throw yourself off of this temple and won't his angels come and get you? And he says, no. And he wields the sword again, this time from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. He says, no, I will not put the Lord my God to the test. I know he cares for me. I don't need to test him. And once again, he's, he's using the very words, what was written to defend against that temptation. Devil's relentless. He's not going to back down. And so instead of trying to question his, uh, his security in the Lord, now he's trying to place in front of him the things of this world, the lust of the flesh. And so here's how the passage 
concludes, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, look, all these things I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written. Circle that phrase. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so one last time, Jesus swings the sword. This time he swings Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He says, I will only worship the Lord my God, and him only will I serve. And with that third strike, Satan's out. He's out, right? Verse 11, here's the last verse. It says, then the devil left him. He was out. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him, to Jesus. Now, I love this. I love the consistency of the scriptures. Because remember in, in the James series we just studied, James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I've always thought, how do I resist the devil when he's so much more powerful and stronger than I am? How do I resist him to get him to flee? Well, Jesus just showed us right here. What did Jesus do? He simply presented the word of God and he stood on its authority. Like that's all he did. All he said, it is written, and he quoted scripture, and he didn't give any three steps or four steps. He didn't do anything additional. He just presented the word of God, and he believed in it, resisting the devil with the truth, and the devil fled. That's, that's all Jesus did for us. Three times Satan comes with temptations. Three times Jesus comes back. It is written. It is written. It is written. That blows me away. This is God in the flesh speaking. Okay, Jesus, the forever existing, eternal existing son of God in the flesh with all authority under heaven given to him. And he could simply say to Satan in his face and say, I am speaking. Right? He could say, I am speaking. I have spoken and and say it because he's God. And yet what does he say three times? No, listen, it is written. And he stands on the authority of the written word. He didn't have to do that. Why did he do that? I think it's to show, and maybe to show us, the church, who's going to be reading this 2,000 years later, that what you have right here has equal authority. That, that if you're being attacked by Satan right now, and, and Jesus Christ were to stand in your defense right next to you, which I'm sure would give you comfort and a sense of power that God is in the flesh right next to me speaking on my behalf. He says, with as much authority as that would have, so you have what has been written. This carries equal weight. Why? Because this is the very breath of that God. These are his words. We have the authority of heaven given to us in the scriptures. And so Jesus, throughout his ministry, even in this case, if you look up, if you type in the word as it is written in a word search in your concordance or your Bible app, it comes up a lot in the New Testament. And you know who says it the most? Jesus. As it is written. Jesus stands on the authority of the word of God. The the sword of the spirit defends against deception. That's what it does. And Satan knows exactly how to speak into our weaknesses to deceive us. 
I was talking to a friend, and uh, he was sharing with me about his insecurities, and he was opening up about um, the things that cause insecurity in him. I said, bro, all of us struggle with insecurities. Like, that's so common to you. You're not alone. And so I started opening up about mine, and I said, this is what I'm insecure about. And then he he said, yeah, but Greg, look at you. Look at what God has done. And he starts listing off this and that. God has done this and that and all. And he just goes on, and, and I stopped him, and I said, and isn't it sad that none of that matters in my mind when Satan starts to instill insecurities in my mind? Like, it doesn't matter. You could be like LeBron James, and you could have achieved more than any other basketball player around you. You could be Justin Bieber, and you could have more love and more fame than any pop star around you. You could be Mother Teresa, impact more people in the world than any of your peers around you, and yet it doesn't matter. None of those matter when Satan comes to, to attack and deceive. Why? Because he's not going to speak into your strengths. He knows your weakness, and he's speaking into your weakness. He, he, he specializes in getting you to be blind to all that you have and get you to sulk in what you don't have. And so if he knows where you're weak and vulnerable, that's what he's highlighting. That's what he's magnifying. That's what he's speaking into. He saw Jesus was hungry. I'm speaking into your hunger. Depend on bread. Turn these into bread. That's what you need. Satan knows. And, and, and the only thing that could stand against this deception is that which is solid and that which is immovable. It is the written word of God which bears truth. There's not enough room in our minds for the truth and the lie. And the sword of God, the sword of the Spirit, is much more powerful. We need to wield the sword. So not only does Jesus claim that this is what he needs to live by, he lives by it. He doesn't just talk the talk, Satan, I'm showing you, I'm going to walk the walk, and it is the word of God which is going to cause you to flee. He lives by the sword. We never know when Satan's going to show up to, to battle. You just, you don't, it could be right now as you're sitting here. You could, it could be right when you jump in your car. And yet when he does attack, we can't wait until that moment to figure out, okay, what swords are there? What swords do I have? There's an article put out by the National Geographic about the Alaskan bull moose. And it's talking about this, this creature where in the fall season, which is their breeding season, the, the male species will, will fight and they will battle. They'll go head to head to determine dominance during breeding season. And the article was saying that the, the, the bull moose that has the strongest antlers and, and the heftiest bull moose will win. If one bull moose's antler breaks, that's going to guarantee his defeat. If his antler breaks, that ensures his defeat. So here's what we can gather from this article. The fight that takes place in the fall is actually one in the summer. The fight that takes place in the fall is actually one in the summer because it's in the summertime that they continually feed. And the one with the healthiest diet will put on the most weight and develop the strongest, largest, healthiest antlers. So the bull moose cannot wait for the fight in the fall to decide, I need to start amping up my antlers. He can't wait till the fight in the fall to, to amp up his antlers. That's too late. Christian, you cannot wait till Satan attacks 
to decide I need to sharpen my sword. That's too late. We need right now to, to sharpen our swords. And so how can we do that? I just gave you two truths as to why we need the sword of the Spirit. Let me give you two tools on how we can sharpen our swords and be ready for the day of battle. So here's tool number one. Would you write this down? Tool number one, sharpen your sword by storing it. Sharpen your sword by storing it. Now I'm going to give you these two applications, and I want to... I want to Make sure, you know, I'm not trying to throw out more applications and more challenges and more goals. Another thing to do, because last week we gave you a challenge. Get into your word. Engage in your quiet times, right? But, but these two tools, I pray, will actually build upon that. So as you do your quiet times, as you read your word daily, these are tools that are going to help you try to get the most out of that time. Okay, so tool number one, sharpen your sword by storing it. The reality is we may not get to choose our battles. Sometimes our battles choose us. Right? You can't pick and choose how Satan comes and attacks you. He just attacks, and you can't choose your battle. But even though we can't choose our battles, we can choose our weapons. We can't choose our swords. And some of you, you know the battles that come up more often than others in your life. You know what you're susceptible to. And if you do, then, then there are certain swords that are going to be specific for those battles. So when you are doing your quiet times, when you cr come across the verse of the day, when you hear the word being preached and there's a sword that's useful to you in your battles, grab it, store it. For example, if, you're, if your struggle continually is lust and you know that and maybe you struggle with pornography, Maybe you're reading your quiet time, like I read my quiet time, Matthew chapter 5, this week, and, and then you hear words of Jesus that says, Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your battle is lust, grab that sword. Grab that sword and store it. Memorize it. Write it down. Write it on a post-it note. And if the computer screen is where your battle rages, Post it on your computer screen. Every time you turn on your computer, recite what Jesus, Jesus just said to you. Do it three times a day. Every time you look at your computer, remember that Jesus is speaking truth. If your Achilles heel is insecurity and, and, and self-esteem or self-image, and you're going through your Facebook feed and someone happens to post the verse of the day on that day and maybe it spoke to them and what if it was Psalm 139? Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. And if your battle is insecurity, grab the sword. Write, take, take a marker and write it on your mirror. And as you get ready for each day, as you stand before the mirror to face the battlefield of this world, remind yourself, man, I am a masterpiece of God. He makes no mistakes. I am wonderfully made. All his works, including this thing right here, is wonderful. And then enter into the battlefield. If your battle is anger and rage, maybe take a verse like James chapter 1, verse 19, 20. Put it on an index card and duct tape that thing, maybe to your steering wheel, if that's where the battle rages. Every time you're about to honk that horn, ah, be slow to, slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Grab the swords. 
store them, memorize them, get exposed to it on a regular basis. And you don't have to wait to coincidentally, if that's even a word, come across scriptures in your quiet time or wait till it gets preached or someone posts it on social media. You can go looking for swords. You know that? You can go looking for swords. Let me, I'm going to give you a resource. This is a great resource, very simple, www.openbible.info slash topics. I use it often in my sermon prep. You, you just go to this, and you type in any word, and it'll give you all the scriptures that come remotely close to it. Take a picture of this if you need. You could type in laziness. I struggle with laziness. Or I struggle with gambling. You, you could type in cheating on my wife, and it will give you all the verses that may deal with that, and not all of them are going to be relevant, but some will be. And when you find a verse that's going to be helpful for me in the battles I face, grab that sword, memorize it, write it down, put it on your phone, make it your, your lock screen, whatever, but make sure that you are storing it. We talked about how the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's going to teach us all truth, and he's going to remind us of all truth. And I'm willing to bet that the things that he could most readily remind us of are the things that we've committed to memory and that we've committed to being exposed to repeatedly. Store the sword. Okay. Here's the second tool, last tool for, to, for today. Sharpen your sword by sharing it. Sharpen your sword by sharing it. I used to, uh, here's a confession, I used to try really hard never to repeat the stories I share in my messages or the illustrations to the same crowd. So if I shared a story with you, I would try not to share it. Well, I'll tell you why, because uh, many years back, people would come up to me and they would say, man, like, how do you come up with all these stories? Like, you have all these illustrations. And one person said, and they're all, like, new every time. You never repeat yourself. And, and when I heard those words, I kind of took pride on that. I'm like, yeah, I don't repeat myself, huh? And then... I get, I, I, I get that because I listen to these preachers and I have my, my favorite speakers and I'll listen to them on podcasts and then I'll find them on YouTube. And a lot of times because um, they're so good, they get invited to different venues and they end up sharing the same messages or maybe some of the same stories. And, and when I hear the same stories, I, go, oh, I find myself rolling my eyes back. Say, <laughs> he always tells the story. Like, I've heard this. Well, yeah, yeah, he talked to two Jehovah's Witnesses, and he's ministering to them, and then he realized that he has to spend time. In I could tell this story myself. Ah, he always tells that. And I don't want to be that guy. But here's what I realized. Here's what I realized. I know that story. And I could tell you that story. It's been ingrained in me. And so what I realized even with you, is that the cost, the minimal cost of having you say, oh, I've heard that before, is minimal compared to the fact that you know it now. And you'll never forget it. And you can repeat it. And so now I, I don't hesitate to, to repeat myself and share with you truths or stories or illustrations I've shared in the past. In fact, intentionally, in this message, I've already shared some things in this message that you probably caught yourself thinking, I've heard that before from Greg. He's, he shared this before. And I did that on purpose to illustrate what reinforcement does. You're recalling it. You're remembering. I did that on purpose. 
also because I'm just straight out of material. But, <laughs> but it's working, amen? <laughs> if you, you, basic research, research tells us if you repeat something three times, you'll remember it. Basic research tells us if you remember something three times, you'll remember it. Basic research tells us if you repeat something three times, you'll remember it. How many times should you repeat something in order to remember it? Three times. Three. See, it works. You remember it. You got it, right? It works. So here's my challenge to you. When the word of God speaks to you, speak it three times. It's just very practical, and I can't find a verse to back this up, but I'm just challenging you. If the word of God speaks to you in your quiet time or through a message or on the radio, speak it three times. Share it. I, I love, I, I love, and I'm not talking about consecutively. I'm talking about to three different people or three different platforms. I love Clovia Hunt. She was on our worship team today. Um, every time. Every time after the message, she'll find me in the lobby, and she'll say, Pastor Greg, here's my takeaway. And she'll give me what she took away from the message. She'll put it in her own words, and she'll say, here's what I learned. Here's how the Lord will speak every time. And if she can't find me in the lobby, she'll, she'll make it a point to go online and email me, Pastor Greg, I didn't get to talk to you in the lobby, but here's my takeaway. And this past week, she did it again. She wrote me this meaty email. I'm not talking about two or three lines. It was meaty. I just didn't have time for this stuff. But she, she wrote it, and, and, and I read through it, and I was encouraged. And she says, here's my takeaway from last week's message. And she threw in all these additional scriptures that the Lord was speaking to her, even as she was listening. I love that. Last week after the service, Michael Johnston, I don't know if you're here, but he came up to me after he grabbed his high school son, Elisha. He says, hey, can I give you the message back to you in one minute? I said, sure. And he pulls out his notes, and he had it all, and he just preached the message back in his own word. He organized it in his own way. Here's how it spoke to me. Here's what I learned. And he just preached it for one minute. And he, he didn't preach it to me because I needed to learn it. Pastor Gary and I preached it. We know the material. But what was he doing? He was processing it. He was processing it out loud, and in the, at the same time, he was blessing me and his son, Elisha. I love that. Share it. And listen, you don't have to come up to Pastor Gary or, or, or to me or whoever's speaking necessarily. You could. We welcome that. But today, even as you jump in your car, make this a weekly practice with your spouse or with your kids. Hey, what was your takeaway? Kids, what did you learn? Let me share with you what I learned. Share one takeaway. When you go to, to lunch after church, some of you guys are going to go to lunch. You're going to go with friends. Sit around the table before you get into all your conversation. Hey, first of all, what's your takeaway? What did you learn today? How, how did God speak to you? Share it three times. And, I, and I'm sure, I'm certain, the more we speak what has been spoken to us and share, the more we're going to remember it. We're reinforcing the truths that God has given us. We're, we're memorizing it. We're, we're instilling it in our hearts. And those are the things that I believe that the Holy Spirit will, will come and take first and retrieve to help you in spiritual battle. When you find a useful sword, store it, share it, and you'll be sharpening it for the Spirit to use in opportune moments. I want to close with this. I, I got a, um, I was given this excerpt from supposedly it's the U.S. government Peace Corps manual. Um, I got this in seminary from a professor. And uh, 
He says this is a, a, an excerpt from the Peace Corps manual specifically for the volunteers who, who are assigned to the Amazon jungle. Now, the Amazon jungle is home to the anaconda snake. And the anaconda snake, I don't know if you know, is the world's largest snake. It grows up to 25 to 35 feet in length. Some people have, have testified to seeing 50 feet to 60 feet anacondas. Gets up to about three to 400 pounds can devour a, a cow, like no problem. Swallow a cow, I've seen it swallow a lion, no problem. Human being, piece of cake. And so this, this manual, knowing that these people are being placed in the Amazon jungle, it gives instructions on what to do in case you are attacked by anaconda. And I thought, this might be useful for you, so I wanna share with you what to do in case you're attacked by anaconda. Is that okay? This might come in helpful one day and you'll remember I shared this. You can thank me later. So 10 steps in case you're attacked by anaconda. Step one, if you are attacked by anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you. Step two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides, your legs tight together. Step three, tuck your chin in like this. <laughs> Step four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. <laughs> Step five, do not panic. <laughs> oh, cool, cool, thanks. No, that's helpful, right? Step six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet first. Great, cool. You must permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. <laughs> Step seven. The snake will now begin to suck your leg into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. <laughs> Step eight. When the snake has reached your knees... Slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth, between the edge of its mouth and your leg. Then rip upward, severing its head, and the snake will die. That's what it says. <laughs> and that, seriously, that's what it says. <laughs> it's easy, guys, it's easy. Step nine, be sure you have your knife. <laughs> Step 10, be sure your knife is sharp. If you're ever attacked by a snake, be sure you have your knife. Be sure your knife is sharp. Now, full disclosure, I think this is an urban legend that went around the internet. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'll tell you what's true. If you're ever attacked by a snake, Make sure you have your sword. Make sure your sword is sharp. Amen? Would you guys bow and pray with me? I want to give you guys a moment to just respond and worship with your hearts. Thank God that he has given you the authority of the written word. It's powerful. I want to encourage you to continue to ask the Lord to put two people on your heart if you haven't so already. 
ask him for the courage and the strength this week to engage in the word of God to be faithful so Lord we we give you our hearts Lord I trust that you have exposed something about our hearts today, where, where we are and what we need. And God, one thing is for sure, we need your word and we need to be filled with truth. We don't have room for lies. We don't have time for deception, God. We need your truth. So God, would you help us to be people who live by the sword daily, depending on it, standing on it, fighting with it, And help us not to fight alone. Lord, you put us in an army. So we're meant to fight with people. So give us us names. Give us two people to invite so that we can keep each other accountable, so that we can get each other's back and support one another. God, I just just pray, uh, Lord, that we would truly be a church that is known to be a church that loves and consumes your word. And that would be evident in the way it produces change and transformation and fruit in our lives. So, Lord, thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.